Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Where to hunt podcast. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Nah, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. Uh, it's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is Tuesday. That part's easy. May 11th. It's 2021. I know what I'm doing today. It's episode 182. We're coming at you from the OKS Hunter Podcast Studio. We are the OKS Hunters, which means we just have more fun than everybody else. <laughs> Check out uh, our sponsor, OKS Hunter, at OKSHunter.com. You can enter in code W2HPODCAST for 10% off of some OKS stuff. They just launched the OKS crew. If you want to join, there's a page on their site. You can click it, get a nice discount, some stickers, and you get to help end deer shaming. That's the mission. While supporting conservation. That's it. Sounds solid. Uh-huh. I've been... Have you been going through Backwoods Grind Coffee? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should probably give you another break. I think I got another one laying around. Yeah, you should. It's. I've been going through a lot of coffee. <laughs> I'm doing like three or four cups a day, which isn't normal. There's just been that much going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, we drink the heck out of it at my house, so... The next good stuff. The next bag for me will be the full bean sunrise blend instead of the campfire or right. the camp house. We'll give it a try. I got a grinder, so it's all good. All right. Your grinder, backwards grind. All right. What else we got? Drop time spirits. Cheers to those guys. Keeping us uh, from going dry here in the studio. We're on our last bottle, though, so nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's so damn good. No ticky, no washy. <laughs> no ticky, no washy. You're gross. No. Reach around. What are you doing here? You're the one that started with the reach around. You're you like, freak. I'm tired of reach around for the camera. Oh, uh, man. I don't know how you're, you know. Right in the gutter. That's right. That's what we do here. And uh, you know what? The call in line, which, by the way, guys, call us. We want to talk to you. You can call. You can join via video. You can chat us, uh, whichever you're most comfortable with. But all of that tech, all the phone number, the videos, the chat, it's all brought to you by Spartan Forge. Head on over to SpartanForge.ai, data driven deer predictability application. Uh, you can use code W2H for 20% off. It's our biggest taker yet, 20%. It's a lot. So head on over there. We've been saying it for weeks now. Get over there before prices increase, and that 20% will get you a little bit further. Um, but that being said, that's our guest today, too. So Greg and I could bullshit. We don't got much to talk about, so we'll just get into it, huh? Yeah, let's do it. All right. What up, Bill? How's it going? What's going on, gentlemen? How are you guys? Use that term loosely around here. Gentlemen? <laughs> what do you call us, schmucks? Jackasses, whatever. That's right. Little slack asses. 
The uh, conversation sounded like it escalated quickly before I got on. It did. He, I think you guys. I think you guys were 15 seconds in, and reach around just got mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> he was the one that mentioned it. He's like, "Hey, whatever." I got this tripod. That oh, okay. Well, tripod. That's that's like an actual tripod that the a camera's tripod on. and a reach around. I mean, he's like, oh, "I'm sick of reaching around for this damn tripod." So he grabs it and puts it on the the table here. And so I was like, "Well, I like the reach around, Greg," and, and then he didn't like that. So. Mind in the gutter. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, look at this beer. Is my right chair here. really loud? Can you guys hear my chair? Whenever you make that noise, I can. It's a really loud old do baker's it chair. Just... Do it again. Let's do it like a noise check. Some weird stuff. I, re- I refuse to give it up. <laughs> hey, if it's comfy and it hugs your ass just the way you like it, I mean, why should you give it up? Are we talking about the chair? Well, are we talking about reach <laughs> Your best pair of underwear? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've heard good things about what's that. Uh, do you guys have a Duluth Trading Center up by you? Is that like a thing? Is that a national brand? Yeah, Duluth Trading Company. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. I was was confusing it with something else, but yes, I believe we do. Buddy of mine's like, dude, you got to get their underwear. You don't understand what you're missing out on. I don't understand, but it sounds like it's a good thing. I run with Under Armour. You like that, Under Armour? Have been for years. Can't get away from it. Interesting. Hmm. I know you got some The show is really getting Yeah, it's really getting weird. When you get into hunting underwear, underwear I'm going to throw first light in there. I like those. That's what it is, first light. What did I say? Those those arrow wool boxers, I like those. But that's just when you're hunting, right? I'll wear them for any activity. Mowing the lawn, cutting the grass. Absolutely. Okay. They breathe. First light's great. Yep, it's good stuff. All right. Bill, uh, for those that don't know, obviously you're a sponsor of the show, your partner. We're, We're friends here. Um Tell folks who who the hell you are. Clearly, we're friends if we're talking underpants. That's right. <laughs> what do you? What color your underpants? Tell them what you're wearing. No, tell them who you are. Uh, black. Black. Well, that's cool. uh, my name is Bill Thompson. I'm a uh, I'm a chief warrant officer in the military. I retire here in what less than two months. Well, two months. I retire in two months after about 21 years. And uh, last year, well, I, how long has it been? It's been since like last September or something. Yeah, something like last? that. I'm trying to think when we had beers on the patio here, you're passing through. To that was October. Farming. Okay. So it's a little bit. That was October because I was helping family with beets. Yeah. So that was October. Where so, that? That uh, yeah. Nebraska? North Dakota. North Dakota. I always get you are geographically challenged. And I get the ends mixed up. Holy yeah. Shit. I'm not driving. I'm not driving from Alaska. <laughs> anyway, I retire in July and, um, a few years ago, I started developing an application that does uh, neural uses utilizes neural networks, um, you know, high level pattern prediction to predict deer movement. Uh, the first uh, instantiation of that came out in November, late November, unfortunately timed for the hunting season, and we called it Outfitter, and that does when, and it also has what I'm calling like a foundational common operating picture, and which basically just tells you about the weather in your area and stuff like rut dates and uh, your full moon data, harvest moon data, really just kind of the baseline of what the product's going to be in the future. And uh, right now we are feverishly developing an application that uh, we hope to get on the market here in the next couple of months. It's already, I, I posted on Instagram the other day, it's already on my phone. I'm going through and, and, and getting bugs out and doing that type of work with our other developers. And uh, yeah, so that's, 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 what, that's who I am and what I'm doing. So what is a neural network? What's your definition of that for us lay folks that don't know what the hell that means? I'm lay as well. So, <laughs> uh, well, a neural network, the best way to think about a neural network is just 
it's a a process by basically they're trying to mimic the way that a the human brain uses neurons to process information which is it, it gets some it gets an input and and you know two to three inputs those inputs go into a, you can think of it as like a, a decision point and then one thing comes out so you have multiple inputs one output and then you build basically you know layers of this many layers of this decision process and you have data at the beginning and then you sp- either specify an outcome or it learns its own outcome and it looks for patterns in the data in order to get from here to there and whatever whatever route that it uses that's the most conducive for the answer that you're looking for is the route that it will build and it produces a result and that's a neural network I and mean, the the simplest quickest way to say it is high level pattern uh, detection, I guess, is the best way to say it. As you get more and more into this, there's a million different ways to say it. So it's kind of convoluted, but you can think of it as just, just really high level pattern analysis. The, the, the moniker artificial intelligence isn't necessarily an accurate moniker. We don't have anything that does general intelligence. You know, when people start getting worried about the term artificial intelligence, they're thinking of what in the community we would call a general intelligence and we're nowhere near that. You know, there's there's so much work that goes into just making, you know, a convolutional neural network that would recognize a cat is tons of work. And, uh, you know, that's a relatively simple action. So when we start talking about things that do general intelligence, we're nowhere near that. But, yeah, that's that's kind of the long and the short of it. And you, and you started building started this building. yourself or yourself. with others? Yeah, so we, we started I started building this thing about. I started generating data for it about seven years ago. And the the data generation at that time was done with like an Internet of Things network that I had built. And it was using things like accelerometers and um, wireless deer cameras. And, you know, I, I, these accelerometers were kind of the key p- part to it. And basically what it was, was just their, their vibration sensors. And I hung them up on trees that I knew were getting rubbed on this property all the time. Uh, cedar trees and some pine trees. I, I put them. I cast them and put them inside of rocks and put them near scrapes and things like that. And, and then on like really dug in deer trails. And every time there was, it, it, you know, you can you can define a certain amount of hertz that you want these accelerometers to report, and <clears throat> you can figure out pretty quickly, you know, what a deer is and what a human is just by the amount of pressure they're putting onto the ground and the vibrations that they're causing. So I wired this property up that I had access to with all of these things and started generating data from these deer. And that was kind of the first, that was kind of my first shot at trying to make my own network. And the problem with that type of network or any network that involves humans is that it uh, is highly dependent on the human. So for instance, if I didn't know where those deer, say there were some spots in those properties that I didn't know about where there, there was like a really good scrape line or a primary scrape that deer were hitting all the time or a big rub, rubbing tree that's in some thick bush that I couldn't get access to. That, those would be activity events that I'd be missing out on. So in a much longer story short, and therefore that would you know wreck the, the prediction. <clears throat> so long story short, um, I started some early on partnerships with some universities who are just interested in that work that I was doing and was able to talk them into giving me some caller GPS data and I just kept building and, and building it out from there. And then I had a couple of buddies that I worked with on some other programs in the military. I let them know what I was doing and, you know, convinced, and they're much better data scientists than I am. 
In fact, to call me a data scientist compared to them wouldn't be inaccurate. <laughs> um, they're very good at what they do. And so brought those guys on, I'd say the top best in the country and um, made them partners. And we started building this thing together. And at that point, my my work went from generating the the accelerometers and the cameras that I talked about to getting more of that colored GPS data. And uh, I spent many years doing that. Um, you know, I, I, in the beginning, it was probably only every few months I was getting some because, it, you know, 90 percent of the time it's a hard no. And there are so many, only so many academics. So I'd come back to them after I built other models and convince them and go back and forth. And that process was probably, I think the first time I got data was 2013. And I continue to do it up until now. So it was a, a very long process, very arduous, and a lot of uh, you know shaking hands and making friends and, and convincing them that what I was offering was worth them giving up their time and effort and money that they had put into these programs, which at this point it is. A lot of these universities, we've built their own models for. So it's a, it's a good thing. That's awesome. That's a, you know, but you're also in the army too. So it's probably not a bad thing that it took a little while to collect some of that, let it build and soak and do what it's got to do. And then you can kind of take your time on it to perfect it. You weren't any sort of rush, no pressure, you know, versus yeah. you know, if you were to do that right now with getting on the army in a couple of months, you'd be like, Let's go. You know, you feel a little bit different probably. Yeah, it, it absolutely allowed my timeline to get larger. And at the time when, we, when I started this and then when we start, when we got together and we're working on this, we really had no idea how much data it was going to take. Like we're into the hundreds and hundreds of years of deer data now. And, you know, I thought we were going to have a model after like 30 years of deer data, which, you know, really isn't all that much when you think about it. Um. So as we kept getting data, there's a problem in artificial intelligence, and I'm probably getting too, too far into the weeds here, so feel free to kick me and put me back on, for, on course. But there's a ter- term called overfitting, which basically means the easiest way to think about it is, is if you're helping your kid study for a test and you just give them the answers for the test instead of getting them to understand the content and the material, um, that hap- that's a problem in artificial intelligence when people are using training data to test their model. In other words, like you're not you're not separating the data out so that the data that's it's being tested against the model's never seen. So in order to avoid that, you have to have a ton and ton of data. Another way to think about it would be if you were taking a test yourself, you could either just study the answers for the test or you could read an all encompassing, you know, 2000 page book that covers everything you're talking about. Then you get a good idea of it and then you can do really then you can do better on the test because you just have a general understanding of the subject. If, if that yeah, makes sense, learning, instead of I just suppose, right? so focusing, you're you're doing something with it. I'm sorry, you cut out there. You said, you say again. Yeah, it, it sounds like your dad is actually. You have a model where it's like learning some behavior. Yeah, and, and it's it, it it points out behavior. You know, as I work with these academics, you know, things that they had never, you know, things that people had never really thought about might drive deer data, and we're not even sure if those are the things that drive the data. All we know is that there's correlations. Like there's another, you know, in statistics or in any kind of science. There's a you know pretty common saying that correlation does not mean causation. Yep. In other words, just because something is occurring and it seems to be related to something else, um, until you can you know test empirically your your thoughts in a setting that you know embraces the scientific process, and you're able to execute all the controls that you would need to be able to say yes, this is actually X is actually happening because of Y, then you really can't do that, right? So the model, and also because of all of the ways and the permutations and all of the different ways that the model is able to look at the data 
it becomes very possible, impossible to extrapolate exactly why it's coming up with some of these things. All it knows is, is that it works. So I, I guess if that makes sense as well, I know I'm kind of being convoluted right now or it's not making a lot of sense, but basically, um, you know, I talked about that path that the network takes that as it fires through neurons to get to an end state, it can run, you know, millions and millions and millions and millions of different sequences in order to get there and come up with all kinds of wacky and zany ways to correlate data and try to create that correlation. And, and sometimes it's not evident you know, what's going on or why it's making those predictions. You know, one of the questions I'll get from people is, you know, I'll I'll tell them something interesting about deer data and then they'll say, well, why do you think that is? And my my answer is always, well, A, I'm not a biologist. B, I just see it in the data. And C, for me to make a guess about why that might be happening is, is, you know, it's it's a bridge too far Mm -hmm. um, because all you know is is that it works. So I, I guess the best way to describe it is like a heuristic. It's a thing that works well enough, but you're not sure if it's the best way to do it, right? Sure. That's a good way to put it. I like that. It is interesting. I mean, sometimes it's like, well, I don't know, that is what's happening, and that is what it is. It'd be great to know why, but it's also just good to know. I mean, that's kind of like, well, here's the answer to the test. You could go study it, but here's the answer. <laughs> you know, that goes right. back to your other example on a different kind of end of the spectrum. Um, yeah, and, I, and we are working as we're growing now, right? Like I think the last time that we all talked, I think we had two employees and I think we're at seven, we're at seven and we're about to bring two more on. So at that time we didn't have the cycles to really pile through the data and start to pull the strings on more, some of the more interesting things about the data. Uh, You know, as we go forward, we're going to have time to do those types of things. So, you know, you can control your inputs and then see what happens to the output as a result. And then you can start to infer reasons and they're more than just an educated guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. I mean, there are some fun tidbits you share with us about like, well, give me an example. Like what is something that you, the data has told you that we wouldn't have thought to be, or some sort of myth buster, right? Some things like that. And I know you were, you shared a couple examples. There's others that you've talked about that maybe, you know, people aren't ready to hear or not. But if you have one of those examples, I think that'd be a good place to, take the conversation and then we can go from there a little bit further. Yeah, sure. So one point of contact would be for you guys in the North humidity. Sorry, my chair is going nuts again. Okay, it's all right. Humidity, humidity doesn't really seem to have a lot of bearing on deer movement. So when I, when I remove humidity from the neural networks inputs or when our data scientist does, and we look at the predictions, it seems to predict just as well as it did without humidity, if that makes sense. So you know, up, up where you guys are, that doesn't drive movement and it doesn't have, there's no biological urge to feed or breed as a result of humidity. Whereas in the South, it certainly has a vote when humidity, humidity is weighted much higher in the spectrum of, of things that influence deer movement. So as a, you know, in, in, in Auburn, Alabama, I have data in South Carolina, I have data in Mississippi, I have a fair, a, some data and a, quite a bit of data in Texas, and humidity definitely gets a vote there, and it, it, it positively correlates with movement. And that may be because there's more like rain season, drought season, potentially. So when there is rain, it's like, hey, we got to get moving. This is this doesn't happen very often, so that would be an indicator of humidity. But I'm yeah, yeah. Again, I, another thing that I think about is in these areas, flooding is a problem. So maybe that's indicative of something to them 
right? So there are even another interesting point of contact might be flood zones where deer have been for a long time, not when they're newly introduced, but the deer have to have been there for a long time. Flooding drives peak conception dates. So in other words, does don't want to have, have an evolutionary trigger to not drop babies when the flooding season is occurring. And flooding seasons can occur by county. So you can have a flood season in one county where it's bad during a certain time of year, but because of the elevation or how far away it is from a body of water, it's not nearly as bad. So they can be 30 miles apart and your rut date can be almost a month apart because the bait, the does that are in that area are trying to avoid the flood, the flood season. So they don't know what they're doing, but it's happened over time that the does that are reproducing and having babies have been selected for their ability to, to first become a hot and then drop babies after that flood period. So that's yeah. another, you know, and that one I know to be true. Flood is the cur- the cause because I have the data and the paper that went with it. Okay. And nature is a really special thing. The fact that they can, deer can do that just biologically. They know what's going on. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and there's lots more like that, especially in the South where those things um, get a vote. And then, you know, as the, as it goes up North, things like that and predators have a vote, but not the vote that they do in the South. And that's because like where you guys live, the babies have to drop in like a two week period. If they drop too early, they can't put their fat on their bones for the next season. If they drop, or I'm sorry, if they drop too late, they can't get the fat that they need to make it through the, the first winter. If they drop too early, um, it's going to be too cold at night and they'll likely freeze to death. So that makes the window much tighter. So as I look at like, we built a really cool graphic last year that basically um, shows. So after we got every rut date entered, which was a process that took me about three years to research and get all of the peer reviewed research. And then we, we piled that up with car collision data, which for us was a signal of peak um, uh, chasing, seeking and chasing behavior. We built a model that, was basically showing it was it's like little dots little lights that would go off and it was showing where all the peak breeding dates were happening across the u.s and you know it just starts in like little areas and it gets big and then the north is just like this big thing of light where it just all starts and happens at one time and then it goes back down to the south where it's just like you know onesies and twosies as it goes into places like um you know what would be a one um florida for instance, has rut dates as early as October and as late as February or March. So again, that's another place where the swamps and the way that the flooding works and the water and the predators drives all of that. Hmm. So, um, you know, when you look at that on a map, it's just crazy to watch those, those rut dates and look at them temporally. It's pretty impressive. Man, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would nerd out about the data that you have, but you are building a, a team of people that can start to nerd out on it and do some testing with you and are kind of rowing in the same direction. I know Greg's familiar with the number of them. We've had a couple of them on our podcast. Um, I don't know, Greg, I think you, you got pretty excited to see some of the folks that were joining the Spartan Forge team. Oh, yeah. Um, Paul Martonic, Greg Litzinger, Johnny Stewart, Garrett Prawl. Is that, is that another name? Um, Andy May. I don't see a whole lot of him. But I know he's a good deer hunter, so yeah, he's kind of a dream team incredible. going on there. Yeah, it is. A, it is a bit of a dream team, and um, all of them, 
you know, I've said this on other podcasts before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. All of them wanted like three or four months with the product first before they were even willing to entertain a conversation. You know, um, Andy was a really tough sell, especially when it came to that. Like he wanted to, you know, look at everything, understood how all of it worked. I think we had probably probably five or six question and answer sessions that probably ran a couple of hours over the phone about how things worked and what it was doing and the predictions and him going through his old data and, and, and we bring all of that going forward. So I think that, it, you know, to me and to the consumer and to, you know, guys like you, I think it means a few things. The first thing is, is that this is all based on, you know, the deer generate this data. As I said before, Bill Thompson's not out there, you know, making observations on what he thinks deer are doing or not doing, because that intrinsically brings bias and bringing bias into something like this is not, you know, when you got people who are spending 25 bucks that maybe, you know, they could use in somewhere else much more, much, you know, to much better effect and maybe keep mama happy or keep the dad happy or whomever they're dealing with. Um, and you're asking them to spend money on that. You want to make sure that it's as accurate as possible. Um, and so when you have these, you know, deer prediction systems that are just, it's just one prediction system for the whole U.S. You know, like I said before, ours is regionalized down to the county in some instances. Um, it just does not answer the mail to say, hey, you know, I've been hunting deer for 20 years and therefore I have a pretty good idea of what movement looks like from a from a deer perspective. It's like, okay, you might know on your farm what those deer look like who you are just as likely to shoot with a bow as you are for them to feed out of your hand. If you walked up to them with some corn, uh, you know, those are not the deer that especially public land hunters or guys like us are going after where, you know, those are, I make the joke. I've been talking to guys lately on the phone a lot about this, people who are interested in the, co in the company. And one of the jokes I make is, you know, public land deer, those are kind of like the uh, Chuck Norris's of the deer woods, right? Mm -hmm. you, you basically have one mistake you can make with them. It's not like these hunting videos you watch where a guy sees a deer, he screws up on it or he misses it. And then he sees it two days later and then, you know, two weeks later, and then he finally harvests the thing. It's like, we get one chance. And then that deer either is, you know, harps harvested seemingly, by someone else or it's, or it's done for, you know, it's, it's hunkered down. Yeah. 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 See, or it's seemingly nocturnal or it's changes pattern or whatever. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with hunting private land. All I'm saying is as it relates to building an algorithm that, you know, purportedly predicts deer movement, um, that would be pretty, you know, a, a, it'd be a tough sell. So especially when I look in the data, you know, I'm getting new GPS data all of the time. And as I get new GPS data, it's kind of, you know, another joke I make for, with people is it's like pulling the meta SD card. So every time I get new data, it's just, I can't wait to pile through it. And the first thing I always do is look for the most mature, you know, deer, whether that's does or bucks. And then I'll just look at them move for six or seven years. And for me, that's just, you know, the feeling I'm sure you guys get whenever you go pull a new deer camera or you go to your email because you get some new cell cam pictures or whatever. It's like, it's like the cocaine of, uh, mm -hmm. of SD card pulling because I'm getting to look at all of these deer live their whole lives and just, you know, break down all of the patterns and the way that they move. And again, there's really interesting stuff there about some of the things that you see in deer data that you wouldn't think A is possible or B is something that would even be a survival mechanism for an animal to engage in whether it's like a doe that is just on a hill and never leaves a hill which is something i've seen she's just on that hill all the time and her babies that are born are with her on that hill until they move and then they leave and she's still on that hill and then she died on that hill 
So she's just on like a large hill that's really steep gradient. And it was uh, near, it was, was it near or on public land? I can't remember, but she just was always on that hill. And the only time she ever came off that hill would be like between 12 and 2 a.m. And then she'd go out and do some feeding or whatever, and then come back to that hill. And if, and if you weren't right on top of her, you weren't killing her. Um, so, you know, that's, that's another really interesting thing, you know, from a survival standpoint that I think these animals are willing to engage in. Um, do you ever see a deer going 65 miles per hour and, and then go, Oh shit, that one got shot. <laughs> it's in the back of someone's truck. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so interesting. There's another one. I don't know if you guys have heard this story before. So if you have stop, stop me, but I think it's so interesting that there, I, I, it was Louisiana data that I had and I've told the story before I know, but it's just so interesting. There was a buck down there. It was like a six or a seven year old buck. And this was a, I want to, he was maybe 145 inches or 140 inches, which down there is a you know pretty sizable deer and <clears throat> big mature buck. And it did not participate traditionally. Okay. So I should say it did not. It, it may be engaged of a hundredth of the first rep behavior that all of the other bucks would engage in. So you could say it didn't engage in the first hut in the first rut. Hmm. So, it, you know, I think it, it, I think it would do like one excursion for a day and it went right back to its spot and just stayed there throughout the first rut. And if you were hunting that buck, you would either think he had left the property or he wasn't there anymore, but he was just like in his swamp area and he did not leave that area. And then during the second rut, he came out and, and they, they had tagged some, younger deer there and these younger deer came into their first estrus during the second cycle he went and mated those deer and then went back to a spot and he didn't leave there all year so you know that that's one of those things where it's like how do you hunt that deer <laughs> yeah you need to be right on top of him where he is in the middle of that like thick mosquito infested swamp otherwise you're just gonna be looking at night pictures of him or you're gonna think he's not on your land and then when he was working the second rut the other interesting thing about him was he would never go to there. So they, this was a hunting club and they had piles of corn, like uh, feeders with piles of corn and they had cameras on the corn. I would watch him wind the corn areas, but never go to the corn. So you'd never see him on the camera. You, he would only go downwind of the cameras. And then if there wasn't a hot doe there during the second rut, he'd move on to the next feeder. And all he would do is wind the feeder areas. So, I mean, again, if you're hunting over bait or something like that, or if you're hunting, you know, and there are good bucks showing up on that camera, there are good three or four year old bucks showing up on that camera. So if a guy's hunting over bait or something like that, and he's there during peak rut or the secondary rut, this buck is winding you and all of the deer there. He knows exactly what he's doing. Hard to so, kill. Hard uh, to kill. so when you get the collar data, what is that show? What, what comes along with that? Is it the, the movement and you're seeing that? that movement and you're looking at it like, is it like, how often is it reporting that movement? Is it once every hour for it's all dependent on the university or the hunting club that is allowing a university on a lot of my data comes from hunting clubs that I make contact with. I'll just cold call hunting clubs that are around universities. And a lot of time universities will just say, Hey, you've got a, you know, this place here, we'd like to come there and, you know, either net some deer or shoot them with a crank gun or whatever and get them, with some tags on it, with some collars on them and they let them go. But so, it, so what I get depends on the university and the purpose of the study. So on some studies I have, 
Um, from the time they're born until they die, they wear a collar. They they do they do skin, antler, and hair samples every six months. They have cameras set up on the property where these deer are or near where they are. They uh, have names and 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 collar uh, identifiers and like tags on their ear. And they know the exact measurements for these deer every year. They know how much they, you know, what they were consuming in the off season. They know everything that you could know about these deer. So any question I would have about these animals, I could get an answer to. And their callers were reporting every half hour or hour in some instances. Oh, wow. And then, and, and then there's some data where it's just these deer get collared and the caller reports every four or six hours. And then that's all I get. Um, and that, and there's no, you know, other tagging or they never, they just wait for either the animal to be harvested or for it to die. And then they go out and get the collar, um, or the collar only works for a year and then it, then it goes dead. So it's a big variety of whatever, like the intent of the study was, um, and, and, you know, what they were trying to learn from it. Um, and then sometimes I get it where I, like, I got a really interesting study. Uh, well, where was that? I can't remember where it was. There's too many now. Anyway, I got predator data as well. They had um, tagged some coyotes um, and black bear in the area. I'm trying to remember where this was. But anyway, they had you know tons of animals tagged in the area. The focus was not deer. It was ba- The focus of the study was basically how do all of these animals interact in the same place. So that was very interesting data. And again, that one was very comprehensive. So, you know, it, it all... And then some I get where, you know, I got one study and I want to say it was from Maine. And I would, it was one point every 12 hours. So there's like not a lot I can do with that, except for like measure the linear travel. And then just say, was it more than normal or less? And you can't use that to train the model, but I can use it as validation for the model. It's kind of cool. I didn't realize that you could, yeah, I suppose people probably colored predators too. I hadn't considered that. That's obviously going to have an impact on deer movement and where they're going and not going, um, yep. especially the more nocturnal ones, et cetera. Interesting. So what's on the, yeah. what, what's on the horizon that you can speak to? Uh, I know there's probably you know plenty that you can't, uh, but there might be some that you can. If there's anything that you know people, dates they can look forward to or feature sets or just general happenings, et cetera. It sounds like you're bringing some more people on to help on the dev side and um, I know you got some stuff going on in November. I think that's going to be part of the conversation for sure. So let's see where we want to go from here. Yeah. So, I mean, we've brought a lot of people on. One of the ones I'm super happy about this is this guy named Logan. I actually made a post about it on Instagram. He's a forestry student and well, his name's Logan Bub. He's a forestry student and a wildlife. Uh, he, he, he went to school for forestry and wildlife studies. Um, I think, I believe he went to Penn State. Um, at any rate, He's been working with us now for a few months, and then we have a couple of other guys that have been working with us, with us for a little over a year, and we've been compiling data that's going to be presented in the in the outfitter. And so I'll just run through the scenario because I think that's easier than explaining what it is. So a scenario would be you're in an area and you either, you know, you look up a zip code or you click your GPS and it tells you where you are. And then when you look, if you look through some of the photos that I've posted on, on Instagram, there's a tab that is, it starts on the weather tab tab, but then inside of there, there's a tab called Intel. And then next to that, there's a tab called browse, I believe it's called. So anyway, in the Intel tab, it'll tell you in there. And I, I suppose I could bring it up, but I'll cover most of the high points. 
in the Intel tab, it'll tell you the total population for the state for deer, the total population of hunters, the buck to doe ratio observed, and then if it's documented by the biologists, the doe to buck ratio for the state, the acres of public land that's available to the hunter, uh, the inaccessible and accessible acres of public land that's available to the hunter, the Let's see, the platforms that are allowed in the state, the dates that the platforms are allowed, like your hunting seasons, basically, for weapon platforms, like if bow is allowed, the dates for it. If this is allowed, the dates for it. And then it breaks down the harvest success rates among those hunters. And then if the data is available, it gives you if if the harvests were on public or private land. And then it gives you the success rates of those hunters on private and on public land. And then it breaks down. There's more data there as well if they have like special permits, seasons. And then we have a kind of a catch-all tab at the bottom that just gives you interesting facts. So there are, you know, an interesting fact might be in Pennsylvania last year, 60% of the bucks that were harvested were between two and a half and four and a half years old, which is like a good metric. It's almost like a QDMA metric, right? So when you're looking for places to go on public land hunt, you know, a really like like there's as I look through this data, there's like three things that stick out to me. There are states that are not good for public land hunting. There are states that are great for public land hunting, and then there are like sleeper states, and then there are states that you would think are good but really aren't all that good when you look at them. So so one so I'm going to offend people here, <laughs> but <I've, laughs> I have made my own judgments on this, so this is subjective. I would say Ohio is not as great as everyone seems to think it is simply because the amount of out-of-state tags that are sold there, the amount of people that are there, the dough-to-buck ratio, and the amount of public land that's available, both accessible and inaccessible, makes it kind of tough. Like, you're going to run into people while you're there, and you are going to really need to be aggressive while you're there. Um, Now, there are big deer there, no question. Especially during the rut, you can still catch, like, a deer that's coming off of somebody's property where he's normally protected or she is normally protected. But when I just when I break the numbers down and, and one of the things I'll do going into to the out years is I'll rank them based on all of these stats. You know, it's not something I'm doing right now, but eventually we will. And it'll be like a role of the pro staff to say what like what are the stats that we care about? Because all of our pro staff is public land hunters. So, you know, in that tab, it tells you all of those things. And then the second thing and the thing that I'm really excited for is we've, we've also broken down all of the. Browse species, both um, um, wood and herbaceous browse for deer. And then we present pictures for that species of plant for your area. So uh, like there's two good points of contact here. The first one would be where I'm from in North Dakota, deer do not eat fern. Like You could never get a deer. You would never scout for fern to, to kill a deer, right? There's just too many. There's too much agriculture and they'd rather, you know, go to a picked field and feed than go looking for fern root or fern plant. Whereas, you know, where Johnny Stewart is in Pennsylvania, that's one of their primary food sources come that time of the season. But also ferns don't look the same in North Dakota as they do in Pennsylvania. So just showing someone like a general fern picture doesn't help them. So with the outfitter, you're going to have regionalized pictures and then the preferred food sources for all of the deer that are in the area that you just looked up. So you'll have, so as you're doing public land hunting or even on your private land, right? Like if you're, you know, if you have some feeders up on your private land and you're like, man, I'm just not getting the pictures of deer. And then, you know, there's a good acorn crop. 
coming, you might want to look up at, on the outfitter and look at what the acorns in your area look like and like which ones are dropping at the time of the year that you're not seeing the deer you expect to see. And there's a good, there's a good possibility that that buck is probably on some like low tannin, especially if it's early in the season, like some low tannin acorn or something like that, like some white acorn, um, or red, red, red acorn, no, white, white or red, white. white, white acorn. Yeah, it's white. So like that right there, I think, especially for the public land hunter and private land hunter is hugely valuable in- information. So if you've never been to Missouri before, you know, you can punch in the zip code where you're going in the name of the town or whatever. And it's going to give you all of that information. And then the other thing I forgot to tell you is like, it gives you all of the public lands that are notable. In other words, where if there's a public land where a trophy animal has been harvested or a number of trophy animals have been harvested, it'll give you that information as well. So you can kind of start to piece together your own public. If you want to go out of state for a public land hunt to a place you've never been, you're going to be able to go there and know like what part of the state produces the biggest deer. What are the public lands that are available in that piece of the state? And then what are the deer that aren't on agriculture feeding in that area, feeding on in that area? So, um, you know, that to me is hugely beneficial. And I think it's some, a feature that people really enjoy as we move forward. That's cool. I mean, it reminds me of like back in the day when my dad and I were looking for new properties to go hunt. Um, back in the day, 10 years ago, I guess is when it was. The last time we tried to really pick a new spot in the state. Uh, well, that's not true. We tried to look again at some other point shortly thereafter, but you know, we started the process by looking at where were the most bucks harvested in the state that we're in, and you can get that data. It's in the DNR site. You have to comb through it, and then you know, then we try to make some decisions from there. Well, let's not go after number one because that's going to be crowded. That's probably Buffalo County or something like that. Not affordable either, and not much public land right. there. So then let's work backwards from that and look at some of the other areas that maybe were overlooked or you know still had a good number or what have you and you can look at that year over year over year and kind of get a sense for what's kind of going on but that was all gut checking stuff based off of data that was reported from harvest information you know so that just means that people actually shot to those deer that year so then one might one might assume well if that many big deer were shot in that county maybe there would be less the next year you know so your approach is you know much different um as far as how you're taking a lot of information and compiling out uh, an output for someone to make a decision, but if they want to go dig into the details, they can. It's pretty cool. Yeah, there's so yeah. much. There's so much information on there. You're almost taking away the ability to be a woodsman and learn it on their own. But then you're also giving them the information to teach them to be woodsmen to understand and identify plant species and things like that. I downloaded an app this last weekend. When we we're out looking for morels. I don't even know what the hell it's called. It's on my phone somewhere. Uh, picture this. Yep. I'm looking at fucking trees <laughs> and it's doing this like, you know, makes it look really cool. So unless like, you know, robotic kind of scan. And then it tells me, well, this is an ash tree. This is a black cherry tree. This is a whatever shag bark, something looking at plants. I'm like, is this poison ivy? Is this poison ivy? Is this poison ivy? <laughs> it was right. pretty cool. I was like taking pictures of every freaking plant I could find. I was trying to find a damn elm tree. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's something that hunters often overlook, or at least the hunters that I roll with often overlook is, you know, what, what are deer eating at certain times of season um, in certain areas? And what are they doing to avoid predators while they're getting after those things, both human or otherwise? Sure. Um, and, and when you're able to piece all of those things together, you can, you know, you, I, I, you know, make a more educated decision, I guess, based on where you want to go, because, you know, we, we can't present them all of this information, but it's still incumbent on them to get out there with their bow 
and, you know, get out there early enough and be quiet enough and get up the tree or set up your position and choose the right spot and be quiet and stay off their phone. And, you know, we're not certainly not going to put people on deer, right. With a GPS collar on them or something like that. Right. Like there's still going to be a plenty of room for error and plenty of, you know, the deer still have the advantage as far as I'm concerned. And I'm saying that as a person that reviews the data, um, you know, one of the other things on there is people often, or on, on a lot of this data, we see where people are sitting in trees and where the tree stands are on a property. So when these guys are hunting, we are watching how the animals are reacting to them. And that's not a scary thing. Um, it almost seems like more often than not, when you are killing a big deer on some of the, in some of these places, it's because they messed up. Like they had their, your number 95% of the time. And then there's just this one time where they didn't have your number and you get to capitalize on it. So, um, you know, I, I don't think there's any way that, I would be surprised if there ever becomes a time where we are at the advantage over the deer on these types of things, especially public land deer. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Especially when you miss them like I do. <laughs> you still kind of be able to shoot straight and, and, you know, get it on target, but, um, that's good to go. What do you got going on in November? I know you got an event happening here. Why don't you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about this. So as you said before, you know, we have a pretty, pretty solid pro staff and then we're adding some more people for this event as well. Um, and depending on the level of interaction, we actually may do two of them, but right now we're planning on one for sure. And and basically it's a veterans hunt where hunters will, as they sign up for the outfitter, when we release it, it there will be a, a, a discount code and it'll probably be veteran or something like that. Uh, as they sign up, they'll use that code and it will enter them in a drawing. And right now we're looking at six people. So they will be, the winners will be paired with a pro staffer who will do some, well, first off, we're partnering with a lot of notable companies here that are going to be providing us some good stuff. So we have um, what first light is going to be providing camo for the winners. So they, they have a new whitetail pattern coming out this year. They're going to be getting tops, bottoms, and hats, and perhaps bag. I can't remember for sure, but at least a top and a bottom and a hat, right? And then there's going to be tethered saddles is going to be giving away a whole saddle kit um, for all of the winners. HHA Optics is going to be doing optics for all of the winners, um, which, you know, th- that's like a $300 value there alone on top of the, you know, 300 bucks of gear, at least from first light, you know, and then a whole tethered setup. I have no idea what that costs, but I'm sure it's not cheap. Um, and then, um, we are also partnering with, you know, at this point it's, it's up in the air a little bit, but we have, um, the company that we partner with will also be giving out three cellular cameras as well. So out of this cohort of people who win, what we will do is the cameras will all come out to me and then the person will be paired with one of our pro staffers and they will be doing um, digital scouting. Uh, if, they're, if they're able to come out to Pennsylvania, we're going to have a, a veterans hunt in Pennsylvania, uh, the Veterans Day weekend, which is the second day, second weekend in November. And it's going to be in Pennsylvania at one of our pro staffers cabin. Um, Johnny Stewart has a very nice cabin out there that he's built. So we're going to host everyone up there for that weekend. So 
you will be paired with your pro staffer. You'll have three to five scouting sessions that are digital, like online, where we'll pair you guys up and then you will go through, you know, the area that we're hunting and start looking for spots and things like that. And then as you guys pick out spots, myself, Johnny, Greg, um, you know, anybody else who's participating will go out there and set these cameras up. You guys will get that intel. You'll look through the app and look through, you know, the prediction and the days and all of those things. And you'll start making, you know, guesses on where you might want to leave the camera or move it to and spots that you're interested in, those types of things. And then we will uh, award all of that gear and we will hunt that weekend in November. Now, if, 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 if we get to a certain metric, and I'm not sure what that metric is, we may have a second location where we're doing this, um, but I'm not totally sure at this time. And if we do it, it'll be closer to where you guys are, that second location. Um, primarily right now, though, it's going to be like a Hills of Pennsylvania hunt. And, um, you know, I've already been out there once scouting um, for spots and the area is pretty awesome. And uh, I'm going back up there in a few weeks to go, I think in a week or so to go turkey hunting. So exciting about that, excited about that, but I'll do scouting while I'm up there as well. And so those people will be paired up and then they'll hunt that weekend with that pro staffer. So the pro staffers will come up and then they'll be paired up with that pro staffer. And then the pro staffer will likely be recording or, you know, helping out And the hunter. We're going to try to get that person on a, you know, a good public land deer um, up there in the, in the Hills of Pennsylvania. So all of the, the majority of the proceeds, the overwhelming percent of the proceeds that we raised from that, we are working with an organization called the boot campaign. And the boot campaign does, you know, the simplest way to say it or the quickest way to say it would be they help vets with visible and invisible wounds. So you could think, you know, it ranges from PTSD to traumatic brain injury to losing a leg or an arm um, or all of your legs and arms. So they partner with that organization or with many organizations to help get the care that veterans need um, as a result of their service. So it's something I'm pretty excited about. It's going to be fun when we announce it and to see, you know, people signing up and we've got other companies that we're probably going to bring on between now and then that are going to help us out with the marketing and getting people involved and, you know, trying to cut as big a check as we can for this um, boot campaign organization and try to help us help out as many people as we can. So I'm pretty excited about that. And, uh, you know, look to our Instagram or to your guys's Instagram or everyone's Instagram, right? Because I'm, you know, I'll share it with everyone. Um, once we start doing this and, you know, people can sign up and, uh, we'll get them some cool stuff. And for people who win and can't show up, we will pair them with a pro staffer who's either not traveling or a pro staffer that can't come out for whatever reason. <clears throat> but right now, four, five of our six pro staffers are coming. So, um, we, we also will have another cadre of people that we will set people up with as well. And then we'll set out, we'll send out like a filming crew to you know capture some of the cool events that people are and stuff that people are generating together and then leading up to it as well um one of the things we'll be doing is these i told you we're pairing them with the pro staffers and they'll be doing the digital scouting some of the digital scouting will be getting done on like the vitals live podcast so um i believe it'll be like andy mays when we pair andy may up with whoever he's working with that'll get done on the vitals live so people will be able to watch that um go down there and vital, the vitals is also participating in this as well. Um, I, I, I remiss not to mention them in the first place, but they're they're participating as well. So you know we got a lot of good companies, a lot of good veteran supporting companies um, that you know are putting a lot of money out there to you know 
help this cause, which I think is a good one. And, uh, you know, create some, um, some buzz around the product and, and, and get people engaging. And hopefully we have a good time over that weekend. I, I know I will. It sounds awesome. I mean, just hanging out with everybody in the, in the cabin in Pennsylvania sounds freaking great. Yeah, he's got a big, massive, beautiful cabin. Is and it, uh, we'll done? probably bring like a trailer up there as well. Has he got it done yet um, or is it still getting some? I would say it's like 60% done. I was just up there a couple of weeks ago and it looks pretty. I mean, it's certainly for a bunch of hunters like us, it's done. <laughs> yeah. But he'll have, it, he'll have it much more done by the time um, we get up there. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's a great area and, you know, just when you look at John's cabin, when you're in his cabin, you look at the sheds and stuff that he has, there are big deer there. Yeah. I mean, really big deer there. So, um, we're, we're, we are busy doing scouting right now to make sure that everybody is set up for success, uh, whenever this, this goes down. It's pretty cool of, of Johnny to, you know, offer that up. Hey, and then B to like, you know, obviously the proximity of the land people are be hunting is probably land that he, you know. Could have been it's some exactly land here. that he hunts. And if, in case people yeah. don't know this about Johnny Stewart, I'll go ahead and say this right now. Um, John would give his best spot to anyone. If it, it, like if you came out there with him and he had a spot where he knew he had like a booner and, you know, you wanted to kill a Pennsylvania deer, he would put you there right away. Yep. Like that, the term honey hold means nothing to him. I'd say, John, I want to figure it out my damn self. Don't give me the answer to the test. I got to learn as much oh, as he'd I He'd explain it to you all until you're blue in the face. He'd tell you exactly why you're hunting there. Or he would scout with you until you found a yeah. spot that you were good for. I mean, he just, he's just one of those guys that, um, you know, is in it for everyone else's success. And I don't say that about many people. He's a good he dude. He really is. Nope, he's a he was on our, man. Yeah, he's on our Tactic Talk and our podcast, which are the same. Just Tactic Talk, I think you know what that is. It's a 15-minute you know, deep dive. But he's been on the podcast with you and I, and he's... Yep. He's more than happy to share information about anything he's doing. Yep. He's just a salt of the earth human being. Yep. Greg Litzinger yeah, is the same. Bo is super delightful to talk. I mean, man, you got, like you said, a dream team. We haven't talked to Andy May, um, you know, at least not on the show. Uh, but the folks that you're rolling with, they're good dudes. You know, they're good dudes. And, and they yeah, are humble. I'm so excited about the team. So you, you've done a good job, I, you know, for just coming into this and – starting to seek people out. I think you landed on some good eggs for sure. Yeah. And I'll work, I'll talk to Andy. I think we can probably get him on the show here, at least when we're getting closer to the veterans hunt for sure. I think we can get him on strong talking about it. Um, he said, yes, he just, you know, he, he loves talking about like the other thing about this group, right. Of pro staffers is just today. We were talking about, you know, very nuanced things concerning the outfitter app. Um, and just like tiny little preference things, like things we want to talk about or whatever. And everyone's going back and forth. And it's like, you know, every day we have a conversation and I'm, I am, it sounds cliche, but I am blessed to have these guys on the pro staff because, you know, the insight and the knowledge and, and, and they all are working, you know, guys that have other jobs and they're not just hunting for a living and they know what is necessary to compress time and to get the most out of their hunt. Um, and you know, things features that people will really appreciate when this app comes out that you know it's obvious that this was built by public land hunters for public land hunters yeah i'm jacked about that i mean that's all we've that's all i've ever hunted so um and and i know it's like a cool thing to do or whatever now to some degree like there's a lot of pride in it but it's just always been that way for me so i don't i don't really know anything different because that's just 
how I was, how we grew up. That's just what we hunted. So now I just have a, I have a huge passion for it because it's such a, it has such uh-huh. a meaning to me because that's where I spent all my time. So it means a lot to me. So right. I get really personally attacked. I feel like when people bash public land, oh, you're going to get shot on public land or off oh, that I quit. You know, it's like, it's a privilege. It's beautiful. Like we went out and accessed public land over the weekend to just do morel mushroom hunting. And just to have the ability to get on this land for anything you're doing is, is a, it's a gift. It's a gift. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, yeah. you don't have, yep. you know, we talked about some stoic stuff and that, that book, uh, stillness is the key and Marcus Aurelius and all this stuff. And, you know, I talk about finding some stillness and peace and quiet, get on some public land. You, yeah. you can just go do that. That's crazy to me. And deer hunting is so near and dear to my heart from that perspective of being able to access yeah. public land. It's, it's a big deal. So it means a lot that you're doing all this. Yeah. And it doesn't, uh, for me, it doesn't compute. Maybe it's just, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't even venture to guess why it is the case, but you know, people complain about public land or hunting on public land. And it's like, if you're willing to work 15% harder than most people, you will go to public land and see deer. And if you're willing to just do a, spend a little bit of time in the off season and walk a little bit farther than someone else is, or think you not even walk, far, you don't even necessarily need to walk farther. Just be a little bit more creative with your access or how you're getting to something or just like, you know, one of my favorite things to do is just knock on a door that borders public land and just be like, Hey, I'll park across the street on this approach. I won't even park on your land. I just want to walk through your yard to get to this public land because I want to approach the deer from a way that they're not used to. Like just things like that, right? Where if you're parking at the main access where everyone else is, it might be a two mile walk for you, but because you knocked on some guy's door and said, I don't want to hunt your property. You know, you're going to see my truck out there. You know, when I'm, you know, when I'm here, it's an old red, ugly F-150, you know, when that truck's out there, you know, I'm just walking through, I'm not spending any time on your property. If I kill a deer, you know, I'll drag it around, come out somewhere else, you know, just all of those little things, just wrapping on a couple of doors and it's stuff, you know, this isn't new information. You can find this information anywhere and it's out there, but you know, public lands are, you know, Again, someone like Johnny Stewart, uh, you know, we've brought him up now a few times, or Andy, or anyone on our pro staff, have walls and walls full of massive public deer that other people have paid seventy five hundred or ten thousand dollars to go and kill. So, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, you're quoting Marcus Aurelius. So I'll quote Shakespeare and say the readiness is all. You know, it's just it comes down to, are you willing to put in a little bit of burning leather time on the boots? to get it done. And if you are, those deer are out there waiting. I love it. What do you got, Greg? Nothing. You going to poke around in there? Poke around on where? The the app. Give your feedback, your two cents. Greg's. He's I don't have enough. any two Greg, cents. I'm not Greg, pro. You know what? I'm about to <laughs> reach across this table. <laughs> Greg is too effing modest. I don't have a wall full of deer, so I don't qualify. You got a deer full of wall. No, I got you a qualify full. Of... You qualify in my heart. So well, I'll get you on that, Greg. I mean, right now you're not looking at. I'll get you on there here. I'll get you on there in a couple. Uh, give me two weeks and I'll get you on there. Yeah, I'll I'll get a um, look at that app. Absolutely. Yeah, Greg's a woodsman. I mean, you know, he, I'm always I'm always using really Onyx, so I'm always probably on Onyx daily. You know, I'll think about a spot and I want to go back and kind of do the flyover view of it. I'm not using that. I'm using Google Earth, and and just kind of looking at it and then you know trying to. Because a lot of these spots, I've I've put a lot of time in on 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 foot, and you look at it and go, I know for a fact that that 
that map is old because, you know, all this crap is not here anymore or it's grown to three times its size. So that information is not always, you know, up to date at all on some of those apps. So if if you ever yeah. if you ever do get to to mapping, hopefully that's something that can change. I think that's going to be pretty costly to do, though. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the sky's the limit here. There's plenty of places that we're going to move into here in the future, and uh, I think you know the other thing that I failed to mention is all of these things that I'm building. I've built I built in the military first, and there was a pragmatic reason for it. Somebody, you know, noticed something about a certain terrain feature a million times and then it became something that we wanted to point out on either a map or, you know, you know, as we did Passover or whatever in the military that, you know, this is particularly good high ground for a myriad of reasons. So, you know, as we build these things, you know, it, com- it's, it comes from that area where it was, you know, things that we, I did in the military first and products that I had built in the military, whether it's from artificial intelligence or it's what we call intelligence preparation of the battlefield or any of these things. Um, it, it, it's, I guess COVID's doing it to me, but it makes me feel like I've been out of the military a lot longer. I'm not even out yet, but mm. because I haven't been going there as often, it feels like I'm almost out. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, and that's the reason I'm doing the veterans hunt is because I've benefited so much from my service um, more than I think most people do um, just because, you know, right place, right time, lucking out. Um, I got a lot of opportunities that I think a lot of people who probably are more deserving of the opportunities didn't get. So this veterans hunt for me is a way to kind of pay it forward and make sure that I'm taking care of where I came from. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's all of those, again, I'll use the word again, heuristics that come from the military and, you know, lessons learned that we bring forward and, you know, the military and the hunter are both trying to engage in a game we call targeting. So, you know, there's a lot of similarities and parallels and analogs between the two that transfer quite well and do the job for hunters like it does for military people. So, um, you know, and we're also bringing on another guy to the pro staff who is uh, his name is Ashley Spurlin. And I don't know if you guys ever watched like the show Top Shot yeah, on Discovery yeah. Channel. Yep, I've I think it was it. Discovery Channel. Yep, yep that's right. Anyway, he was on the second season of that, and he's uh, in the Air Force. He's a special operations guy. Uh, we, we ran in the same circles when we were in the military together, and uh, he is going to be on the pro staff, and we're actually going to be you know, having him make some videos here in the coming months uh, talking about that exa- exact same military stuff. So you know, when he goes into the woods to go deer hunting, this is how he packs his pack out. This is how he arranges the weight. This is how he, you know, has a, a backup map in his pocket in case his phone fails. Or we have a saying in the military, two is one, one is none. So bring four. So, you know, he'll bring like phone chargers in with him, like, you know, little phone boxes and chargers in case the battery goes dead or, you know, two flashlights or three flashlights instead of one. How he does his pack out, how he does, you know, selects boots, the clothing that he uses, um, how he tunes his bow, how he shoots his rifle, how he, you know, we how he just sights his rifle in, right? Like there's lots of good, you know, military, you know, easy buttons that we've developed over the years that hunters uh, can really benefit from. So, you know, and then we get a guy like him on with a guy like from our post staff named Taylor Chamberlain who kills something like a hundred deer a year. And then now you have two guys in the room talking to each other who are, you know, 
here, here are the lessons learned from the hunting side of the community for a guy who kills more deer than some people will ever kill in two lifetimes. And then you have another guy who's not only killed more deer, but more people than people could imagine to kill in two lifetimes. And now they're exchanging information and they're creating content. And then it's just out there for the hunter to benefit from. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. So, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things happening and that's just the ice, the tip of the iceberg here for the next year for us. So, um, everybody who, you know, joined us early and I know you said it before, but everyone who joined us early, we kind of consider them the ones who took us to the dance when we were ugly. So we're going to make sure that they never pay more, um, than what they're paying right now as they go forward. So as we roll out these new features and this new content and this access and these hunts and all of these things that we're going to be doing, we're going to make sure that they never pay more than they did the day they signed up. So, um, you know, we're pretty excited about all of that. That's awesome. It's a good way to treat people. I don't know. I mean, yeah, for, I think for, an ugly, right for being ugly, you guys are pretty smoking hot out of the barrel. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate that, here. but, um, you know, there's a, there's always room to improve and, uh, you know, I'm learning tons as I go forward and trying to hold on to as much of it as I can. So I don't make the same mistake twice. So sure. I think the, the, it's all looking up, um, going into the future here. And everybody, you know, if you want to learn more, SpartanForge.ai, right? Yep, we just updated the website so people can jump on the website there and take a look at the pro staff. And, um, you know, the traditional outfitter is still there, at least for the next couple of months. That will all go away here um, pretty soon. And uh, then we're, we have enhanced functionality that we're trying to move out at some point in the future on the desktop um, version as well. So, um, you know, SpartanForge.ai, hit us up on Instagram. Send me a message. I love engaging with customers. So if somebody has a question about something or wants to talk, you know, I just had a call or I just had a message the other day from a guy on Instagram and spent three hours with him on the phone. So, you know, people uh, reach and I plan on doing that from day one until day 10,000. So, you know, if people want to reach out and talk and ask how things work or just, you know, float me some ideas or whatever, um, I'm available there and I answer it all the time. Cheers to that. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead and end the live broadcast. I think I drank most of my drink. I'm going to have a drop here. So I didn't spill it on my computer. <coughs> like somebody we know. <laughs> that was me. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to live broadcast. This will be in live uh, podcast land tonight. We'll get this thing produced. Thanks for joining us today. What's up, everyone? Anthony Heller here with Deer Vane, and this week's tip of the week is to plan. Uh, I always like to start when I'm going to start hunting. So this year in Wisconsin, it's mid-September, as usual. And then I work backwards to develop a plan uh, for the best course of action for me this year. I have three different pieces of public that I want to hunt this year and want to test out. And I also have my piece of private. So based on that, I need to get out and for sure get scout, get those three pieces of public scouted here by the end of the month of May and even into a little bit of June. But after that, green up is just too much and there's not nearly the sign. So I got to get that done in May. And then for the private, I got to get my trail cameras set out in uh, early August. I'm also going to do the same thing on the public. I have a few key locations that I've already scouted that I'm going to drop my trail cameras on. And based on the distance that I'm going to walk for these pieces of public, the amount of pressure I think is going to be there, where I think the buck sign is going to be, what I'm looking for in terms of scrapes and trails and all that, that determines what time of year I'm going to hunt it. 
And so some of these pieces I won't touch until October or early November and other pieces. I have a couple spots on public by my house that I'm going to hunt opening day. So obviously I key in on those opening day spots um, with my trail cameras first off in August and I check those and then I develop a plan A, plan B, plan C for that opening weekend and also for October and November, let my trail cameras kind of tell me what to do. And if you don't have trail cameras, you don't run trail cameras, totally fine. That that works too. Just make sure you have a plan A, plan B, plan C because public land always throws you curveballs. And uh, it seems like everybody and their brother wants to hunt opening day. And then the second weekend, there's nobody out there. So uh, <laughs> for, for opening weekend, certainly figure out plan A, plan B, plan C, and get that scouted out now and start mapping out where you're going to drop your cameras, your entry and exit routes and all that. All right. I hope it helps everyone. Great tip, Anthony. The whole concept of like working backwards makes a ton of sense. And it makes even more sense when you consider the deer hunting season opener and what things you need to get accomplished by then uh, to be fully prepared. So you're way ahead of me as the OKS hunter, that's for sure. And uh, I probably won't start planning to like August or something like that. Although I do have some plans in place and I also um, apply to some conservancy properties for like a drawing. So I can maybe get drawn to get access, public access to some private lands. Um, so that's another thing to do. And, you know, there's no guarantee that I'll get those properties, but as I've been hunting them over the years, uh, you know, I've gotten familiar with more and more of them. So I could definitely do some pre-scouting there, but you know, it could be wasted efforts depending on if I don't get drawn for a certain area or something. So, um, that's interesting to consider. That's a really good point. As far as what's going on with the podcast, you know, we are doing a weekly e-blast now, uh, that I finally got off the ground here. So, you know, if you're interested on joining that or subscribing to it, if you go to the where to hunt app.com website, there'll be a prompt to ask you if you want to sign up to our email list. And that's all it is. It's a recap of the show we did, you know, this week and then what's on deck for the following week, as well as any happenings that are going on with us with the application, the, the, the GPS app, um, ratings and reviews on the podcast, uh, as well as we're going to start to put in some fun facts there and tidbits of information. We also do uh, call it to our, our partners on there, too. So, you know, just a good way to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on with where to hunt. Otherwise, no major announcements or anything. The New studio is kind of coming along and we're framing things out down there. So that's really cool and exciting. Uh, we're looking at doing some more collaborations with some others uh, in the space. So keep an ear out for us in, in other places. Uh, as far as guests around the corner, we have Alex Romando up next week. And then the following week, um, we're going to be talking with Big Woods Bucks, Joe over there. And then heading into June, we're chatting with SmackDown Outdoors. And then we're booking out guests into all of June currently. So stay tuned. And uh, that's all I got for everybody today, I think. There's not much else. I know, I think I mentioned last week, OKS Hunter launched the OKS crew. So if you're looking to help put an end to buck shaming and deer shaming, you're going to want to check that out. Go to OKSHunter.com. You can uh, click on their OKS Hunter crew and see what's going on there if you want to sign up and submit an application. Um, big shout out to Bill for jumping on the show with us tonight. Great episode. Super informational there's a lot that lives in the data that he has over there with uh, spartan forge so really excited to see what they have going on excited to see more come from them in the coming months here so that's what we got for everybody today have a good night and hunt public <laughs>